Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Grant us, Almighty God, that the words which we have heard this day with our ears may through your grace be so grafted inwardly in our hearts that they may bring forth in us the fruit of good living to the honor and praise of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So welcome, welcome. Thanks for coming this morning to spend time with us in community as we walk through the scriptures and as we walk through this season of Lent. Lent is a season filled with grief. Lent is a season filled with like pursuing and processing and trying to figure out who this God is, allowing our preconceived notions and our ideas that kind of sit there all around us to kind of be shed away as we abstain and engage from certain things, as we abstain from the things that hold us away from God and we begin to engage the things that perhaps we've set aside or have never really engaged with before and allows us to kind of draw nearer to God. I'm not sure if you saw this in the news. I'm pretty sure that most of us had, but on Friday, it was 50 Muslim men and women were killed in two mosques in two separate shootings by the same individual in one act of terror, in one act of terrorism in Christchurch, New Zealand. One of the things that I wanted to do this morning was to take a moment and actually pray for them, to pray for New Zealand, to pray for the community, but also to pray for our Muslim brothers and sisters that are across the world. And the reason why I say this is Jesus commanded us in Matthew chapter 23 to, with the second greatest commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love those people that are distant from us, that are kind of pushed away, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus kind of defines who the neighbor is in Luke chapter 10 in response to a man who says, oh yes, the, one of the greatest commandments is to love our neighbor as ourselves. But then he says, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with the story of the Good Samaritan. The person that is the least like you, the person that you want to cast aside, the the person that doesn't believe the same things that you believe, they are your neighbor, and you are to love them as yourself. N.T. Wright said this in one one of his books. He said, the only answer to destruction is love. The church's answer has got to be love. And so this morning, I wanted to walk through a litany, a a prayer for our Muslim brothers and sisters, those men and women who too are created in the image of God, and to, to kind of join nearer, to draw nearer to them, our neighbors, as a people in prayer. For some of us, this might be an uncomfortable sort of experience, that we would pray for them because it doesn't seem like that's something that we should do, but this is what Jesus calls for us to do in the Gospels, to treat everyone as our neighbor, to love them as we ourselves would want to be loved. So let us walk through this prayer together, a prayer for our neighbors, for all who are made in the image of God. For the beloved souls lost to hatred and violence on Friday, 
for the people they were stolen from. For Muslim sisters and brothers who gather in faith, but do so in fear. For leaders in Muslim communities who must find wisdom and courage for this moment. For the men whose minds are twisted with white supremacy and hatred. For any person of faith unsure as to why this moment matters. For our hearts, that we may not grow numb to these atrocities, but that we may weep with those who weep. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Amen. I'll never forget the first time that I had an existential crisis. A moment of wondering what my purpose on this earth is. Wondering who it is that I am, who it is that God created me to be. I was in high school, and I was having an existential crisis. It was a pretty weird existential crisis in high school because I hadn't really thought through life very well. I hadn't really thought through much about anything, but I sat there on the deck at my parents' house of my home, staring into the backyard as all of these fireflies glittered about. They floated through the air with like the greatest of ease. They were just there blinking and blinking and blinking, and I thought, what are they for? What, their butts just glow. What do they do? What do I do? That was my first existential crisis, thanks to the lightning bug, the firefly, if you will. What do I do? What am I here for? I was probably 17 years old, and of course, at this point in time, you're beginning to get the pressure from the parents, like, what are you going to do? Like, where are you going to go to school? What do you want to be when you grow up? What, do you, what, what are you going to do with your life? Which is basically your parents asking you, when are you out of my house? When are you, when do I no longer have to feed you, right? When do I no longer have to deal with this high school boy that is eating me out of house and home? Like, when are you gone? When am I one step closer to freedom? I kind of count down those days with Elliot every so often. She's six, and I'm like, 12 more years. 12 more years. Woo! 12 more years. And it doesn't come from a financial perspective. It comes from a freedom perspective, right? Like, oh, I'm going to have all this freedom back. Life will be so different as an empty nester. And then I look at my parents and I'm like, man, they miss us. Am I going to miss her? Probably. Probably. But this was my first sort of existential crisis, this, th my first descent into nihilism, this, this belief that everything is meaningless. Because in the midst of this moment of staring at the fireflies and of wondering what my purpose in this world was, I began to descend into this sense of, what, do I have any meaning? Do I have a purpose in this life? You know, I'd always wondered if maybe life is just a dream. I wonder if maybe I'm not just trapped in someone else's dream. I'm the figment of someone else's imagination. 
Maybe if there is this God out there, maybe, just maybe, I'm a figment of his imagination. And none of this matters. Everything is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. I descended into this place of curiosity and a wonder where everything kind of just went all over the place. Those questions never really subsided either. Right? Like they never went away. And from time to time, I find myself falling back into those. Well, maybe reality is this. Maybe reality is a dream. Maybe, just maybe. But the further and further, the 20 plus years beyond that experience, all of a sudden, like they come fewer and far between. That life has much more of a, a meaning to it. But the question of purpose, the existential question of purpose is still there. And I find myself oftentimes with a blank slate of purpose of this world and of this life, right? Like that's the existential question. What is it all about? What does it all mean? A while ago, I ran across a quote that I thought was really funny. It was from just, a, just some a screenwriter. He said, I took a test in existentialism, he was basically talking about a college test on existentialism for a philosophy 101 class, right? I took a test in existentialism. I left all the answers blank and got 100. <laughs> right? That's fantastic. We're all searching. We're all searching for this purpose. And we're all left with this sort of blank slate there. And I think oftentimes we're given this. Right? Our parents tell us from an early age that you can be anything that you want to be, which feels like a smorgasbord of opportunity, right? But it's really just a blank slate. It's everything is completely clear and wiped out and, uh, and, and we're just allowed to walk into whatever it is that we want. But it's truly like this blank slate of existentialism. And we're all searching. We're all searching. And I think we can spend so much time searching that we're still left with questions. And as we continue to pursue those questions, we can be left with absolutely nothing on the other end. C.S. Lewis kind of puts it this way when he's talking about existentialism and the abolition of man. He said, if you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through things is the same as to not see. The existential crisis, the existential question of wondering what our meaning and our purpose is, as we continue to go through it, as we continue to try and see everything, as we continue to try and pick everything apart and deconstruct everything from faith to church to religion to purpose to who I am and to who everyone else is and what those relationships are, as we continue to pull all of that apart, we're left with absolutely nothing, nothing. Nothing. The existential question and the existential crisis should lead us to pursue Jesus as that thing that holds everything together. As Jesus in the midst of it all that is holding everything together. Because if you see through everything and you don't see Jesus, then you're seeing nothing. Jesus is the core of our reality. 
Jesus is the core of our being. Jesus is the thing that continues to not only hold everything together, but shows us a new way forward into this world that is all around us, that is full of question, that is full of possibility, that is full of what? Our text today that Nicole read for us was from Luke chapter 9. It's a really fascinating text. It's, it's the transfiguration, this moment where Jesus goes up to the mountainside and takes Peter, James, and John with him, his kind of inner circle of friends. He's got 12 close friends, right? He's got the 12. And he's even got other friends that aren't a part of like the disciples. He's got Lazarus that is a really good friend. He's got Mary and Martha that are also really good friends. But like his closest of close friends are Peter, James, and John. And he takes them. He says, hey, guys, come with me. And they walk up the side of this mountain and they come to this place and they're super sleepy. They're super tired. So we don't really know exactly what time of day they're doing this. This could be in the middle of the night. This could be in the afternoon. And they've just eaten a gigantic feast and it's hot and they've been walking for hours on end. We don't exactly know when they're going up the side of this mountain, but they go up there and there they are with Jesus and he transfigures before them, right? This, this moment where his face and his clothes like become this bright white and just shine like the stars. They, he shines bright like a diamond. Come on, Rihanna, come on. She's from Barbados. That's funny too, come on. Anyhow, anyhow, <laughs> He is shining bright like a diamond in front of all of them, all right? And then these, like, two other figures appear, Moses and Elijah. And Peter, Peter's really funny because, like, if you remember in the text, he did not know what he was saying. I feel like that's Peter a lot, right? I feel like that's me a lot. I don't know what I'm saying. I just say something. I'm like, what? Right? Like, it just, just words come falling out of my mouth. And I'm like, what? What did I just say? shine bright like a diamond, right? Like, just words just fall out of my mouth. But this is Peter, and in the moment, he says, he says something really, really profound. But he didn't know that he was saying it, which is what's really funny. He was saying something really profound. It is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. We've been walking through this thing called Lectio, where, where throughout the course of the month as a, as a community, we're walking through the lectionary. We're walking through these kind of assigned texts in the church calendar that are kind of these random texts that are just kind of thrown into the midst, into a pile, and said, hey, read these and just sit in them and allow God to speak to you through the words of Scripture. Just let them wash over you, and what you hear is, whatever stands out to you is kind of what you hear. And we've been doing this every single day with a podcast, right? So you can, you can download the podcast, subscribe to it every single day, and it's just really easy to find, awakemysoulpodcast.com. Super simple, super easy. And as we listen to these sorts of things, I, I spent time in this text, our text for today, just listening to what it was that not only was God saying to me, but what is God saying to us as a community? What is it that God wants us to hear in the midst of this? And that's kind of what I heard was, 
It is good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. But I wondered about that, right? I, I wondered about what it was about that phrase that, that stood out. And so I began to do a little bit more meditation, a little bit more digging into the story and into the text and everything that is happening, the push and pull of Scripture that is there. And what is it that this means for us as a community, for us as a people? It is good for us to be here. In this moment, in this moment of Scripture, we have Jesus literally shining like this super bright light, and Moses and Elijah are present, and Peter, James, and John see this, and Peter says, hey, I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to leave this moment. This moment, this place, this space is one of the most amazing things that I have ever witnessed and experienced in my life. It is good for us to be here, but also, God, or Jesus, let, let's build three shelters. Let's build some houses here so that we never have to leave. We can just build them, and Peter, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll shack up with Elijah over here, and Peter, James, and John, they can go with Moses, and Jesus, you've got a whole house to yourself. It'd be great. And every day we can come out of our houses and we can have a meal together. And then we can go back and we can, and we can talk about some of the greatest things that there's ever been. And then we can go back into our houses, right? Because what are houses for? A place to live. A place to dwell. A place of safety. A place of security. A place that we never, ever, ever have to leave if we don't want to, especially now, thanks to Uber Eats and Grubhub and all the places that can bring you all the food. I mean, Amazon delivers food now, right? You never have to leave your house if you don't want to, right? And this is kind of Peter, Peter's idea. I never want to leave this place. This is that good. Have you ever experienced that before? Like you've ever been somewhere that you're like, I never want to leave this place. I think we all have those ideas of like, this is the place that I never want to go back to again, <laughs> right? And I think we also have at the same time those places that we never want to leave. That, that one vacation that you went on and you never wanted to leave because it was absolute paradise. You were with your family or you were with your friends or you got to experience some of the most beautiful and wonderful things. You had all this amazing food in front of you and you never wanted to leave. I have a few of those. I have a few of those that were vacations, right? Like when a couple of years ago, Tracy and I got to go to Europe to celebrate our 15th anniversary. And it was wonderful. I never wanted to leave Paris. It was amazing. <sighs> and Elliot wasn't with us, which was both good and bad, but it was amazing in and of itself, right? Like it was just so good. We just got back from a, another vacation a couple of weeks ago, and it was wonderfully restful. We were just like, oh, I never want to leave this place if every day could be like this, right? But we also have events that are the same way. 
I think back to last fall and Thanksgiving. We had so many people crammed into our tiny little apartment. It was so wonderful. There was like 20 plus people and children and babies all over the place. And it was a wonderful time of just hanging out with each other. I was like, I never want this to end. And then when everybody left, I was like, I want to go to bed. I was exhausted, right? But I never wanted that moment to end. Everything about it, it was so good. What are those moments for you? Can you think of those spaces and those times that you never wanted to leave? I think for Peter, in this moment, as he's sitting there in that space, never wanting to leave, was experiencing something unbelievably profound. The, the Celts, the, 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 the Celts, it is St. Patty's Day, by the way, so we do get to talk about the Celts and the Irish heritage there in the midst of this. The Celts had this really beautiful belief, this really beautiful understanding of Scripture that, that is not an abnormal belief, but it's actually a very common thing that I think over the course of time we've pushed away from. We've kind of lost in all of our hubbub over what this world is, over our existential crises and questions. The Celts believed that heaven and earth were actually much closer than you would think. That heaven and earth were actually separated by this thin veil. They even had this moment of thinking like, we, we, we think this thin veil is actually, that heaven and earth are only separated by about three feet. That you're only ever a yard away from being in heaven, of heaven and earth coming together in this beautiful collision of experience. It's only ever three feet away. But in certain moments and in certain times, that heaven and earth actually come much closer in that veil. That thin veil is so thin that it's almost translucent. And you can experience heaven on earth. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Who heaven is a place on earth, right? Yeah. 80s baby, Belinda Carlisle, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like that's the idea, is like that this the, the, the Celts say that of this thin veil, that there are moments in time, there are moments and places that we can be, that the veil is so translucent that you can actually see heaven in this place. And it's a place that you never want to leave. That's what Peter was, expect, was experiencing here. He was experiencing that thin veil between heaven and earth, this beautiful collision of heaven and earth coming together. He was experiencing it and seeing it here in this transfiguration of Jesus, that heaven and earth were right side by side. And all of a sudden, he saw Jesus having conversations with Moses and Elijah, these men that had been dead for centuries upon centuries. They're present with him as heaven and earth meet in this place, in this space. And he says, I don't want to leave this. It is good for us to be here. It's not just good for us to be here, but let's build the houses, Jesus. Let's never let this moment pass. Let's always experience this place where heaven and earth have come together and have met 
That's the profundity of Peter. That is the profound nature of what he was not only experiencing but saying was, let heaven and earth never be separated again. Let us not go back to this moment where there's this three-foot veil, this three-foot separation between heaven and earth, but let's walk into this place and have it here now always with us. This place that as John writes in Revelation, there will be no more weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be no more tears. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering for that has all passed away. And here is this place of goodness, this place of joy, this place of excitement, this place that is good. The thin places, the thin places in the world around us. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For you were once in darkness. Every single one of us has lived in this space of darkness where the world around us makes no sense. But the moment that Christ begins to shine upon us, the minute that we see the glory of Christ revealed in our lives, the moment that we see the transfiguration for ourselves, perhaps not physically, we don't see Jesus brightly shining, standing right in front of us, perhaps not physically, but in the light of our minds and in the light of our hearts, in the light of our souls and our very being, when we see Christ illuminated upon us, we see this opportunity for us to step into this world where we get to help bridge heaven and earth together. This is actually the Easter story, and I know I'm jumping ahead. I know I'm jumping ahead by like five weeks, because that's Easter, right? We're in a season of preparation. But this is the hope that we have through the resurrection, through Jesus, that everything is illuminated and heaven and earth are met together in this space. That Jesus is the one that has actually brought these things together. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that Jesus holds all things together. That Jesus holds all things together. And in the moment of the transfiguration, we have this place where Jesus is literally stepping in between heaven and earth. He is visible to both sides, to both realms, and he's holding it together. He's pulling it together in that place and in that space. That here it is, this beautiful collision of heaven and earth. Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the hope that we have is not about us getting to God. The gospel is not about us getting to God. The gospel is about God coming to us where we are, that he is pulling everything back together, that he has bridged the divide between heaven and earth and all things can come together. The gospel 
is about God coming to us that we may experience this new place, this new realm of what it means to experience heaven on earth in this time and in this place. And as a result, it's us taking that knowledge, taking that experience, taking that to the world around us and creating places, creating spaces where that thin veil is translucent. This is what it means to be the people of God. This is what it means to live in a thin space world where we no longer see the yard distance between heaven and earth, but a thin, translucent veil. We are the people of light. As Paul says, we are the children of light that shine the light in between that space and allow the world to see what it means to not only be followers of Jesus, but what it means to bring heaven to earth, to bring about the kingdom of God. For Jesus said over and over and over again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is not a far off distance. It is a not far off place, but it is near. It is here. It is present. It is now. And he says, I need you and you and you and you and you and you and you. I need all of you to make that known. But the only way in which we can do this is to center ourselves and to focus on that Jesus that is in front of us. In the midst of our existential questions, to focus in on that Jesus and allow him to be our guide and to be our light. And so as we close this morning, I want to offer a prayer that I would love for us to all pray together. It's the prayer of St. Patrick. And so if you would stand with me and we'll pray the prayer of St. Patrick together. It is, it is a prayer that not only centers us in Jesus, but centers us around who this Jesus is and acknowledging his presence. And so if you would pray it with me, it'll be on the screen. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me. Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. Gather together around that space. Gather together around that Jesus and continue to hold him tight and recognize that he is all around us everywhere. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.